You know, you never know when you see the weather reports and they say it's going to be 8 million below. Um, how many people you're going to see the next morning, but it's so great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, special thanks to all the volunteers who came out. We couldn't do these things without you. And um, for all you parents, um, sending a message to your kids that this is important. And thanks for bringing them because there were a whole lot of them up there today. Wow. Uh, well, on Friday of this week, I had a chance to go down to the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. And they have a, what could be a once-in-a-lifetime exhibit of uh, artifacts surrounding the Reformation. Some of these things have never been out of Germany before. And it was amazing to go down there and to see all these things that were a part of Martin Luther's life and some of these other people of, of that day. Now, as a Protestant pastor, I've studied Luther before and some of the Reformers. But I'll be honest with you, I had completely forgotten what an impact, what a world-changing moment it was on October 31st, 1517. And this October, coming up then, marks the 500th anniversary of a man named Martin Luther nailing 95 theses on a Wittenberg door. And it's not exaggeration to say that that changed the world. And one of the things that we're going to do in 2017 is press into some of those key themes because there were some key themes. One of them was the centrality of the Word of God, the centrality of Scripture. And another one was that we're all priests, the priesthood of all believers, and another of them was that culture can easily compromise our faith and how important it is to get back to the word and get back to Christ. So we're going to press into some of those themes. And I was just like a kid in a candy shop at this exhibit, and I was taking pictures. And here's a picture that I brought back. This is, was interesting. As a preacher, I found this artifact particularly interesting. Does anyone know what this is? I, I didn't either. I had to go read the little tag. This is a countdown timer for preachers. These are little individual hourglasses, and each one of these hourglasses represented 15 minutes of a sermon. So you had these four parts, pastors, we had one hour to do it right. The first countdown timer was for the introduction, so I had 15 minutes, right, if I would have been back in the day to do my introduction, and then you had 15 minutes to state the facts, and then the next timer would flip, and you had 15 minutes for application. And then the next timer would flip, and you had 15 minutes for conclusion. Man, that's nice. So, so I got an hour today. No, just, just kidding. Um, but one of the reasons that things like this even came into being is because during the Reformation, the message part of, this, of, the, of, the, of a service became way more important um, literally what would happen in the, in the mass back then is the priest would, for much of it, just turn his back to y'all and would just do his thing with God while y'all sat and listened to Latin and looked at the back of his robe. And one of the things that the reformers said is, the Bible is God's word, and, and we want to try to seek a message from God and then bring it to the people and, and for the people to be able to apply it, for it not just to be blah, 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 blah but for this to be life-giving word that comes to people so they can apply it. And one of my favorite parts of the whole exhibit was they had a Bible there that Martin Luther had written in. And it was just so cool to see where he had underlined passages of Scripture and he had written things in the margins because he wanted to take this word and bring it to people. And we do the best we can each and every week to do the same to take the scriptures and to wrestle with them and to pray and to bring all the research we possibly can to bear with the time that we've got and try to bring a, a message to you. And the message we've been trying to bring here for the last couple of weeks has been from one specific part of the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 9. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 6, because this is the key verse that we've been focusing on in this series. So we'll start here, and then as this, the, the teaching goes on with the rest of my 57 minutes, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dig into the context here. I want to let you know, too, as we open up our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free. Each and every week, we keep a stack of them. We just ordered a whole new shipment, so there should be some plenty there for you. But please take one as a gift to you. All right, here we go. Isaiah chapter 9, um, uh, verse 6 is the one we're going to look at here today. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So that's the passage that we've been focusing on. And in week one of the series, we started with that first name for God, for this child, Wonderful Counselor. And then in week two, we moved on to Mighty God. And then last week, we looked at Everlasting Father, which means this week we're going to focus on Prince of Peace. How many of you could use more peace in your life? Peace is hard to come by, isn't it, in this world? At least lasting peace. And it's almost as if there's forces at work in this world that are hell-bent on trying to rob us of peace. And that's true no matter what your age or your life stage or even your personality. I was thinking about this and how every situation that you can find yourself in, every corner of the planet, has its own unique set of stressors. So here's a partial list. Teens have their own unique set of stressors. And then young adults have their own unique set of stressors, as do older adults. Singles have their own unique set of stressors, as do married couples. And then should you have kids, you get a new set of stressors every different, every couple months, certainly every couple years. There's the stressors related to pregnancy. There's the stressors related to infancy. There's the stressors related once those little kids can start moving, right? Amen? Yeah. And then they get older. Next six months, there's new stressors. When they hit their teen years, there's new stressors. But it doesn't end. There's parents who love our kids in adulthood. New set of stressors. There are stressors for those who are renting their homes. There are stressors for those who have home ownership. There are stressors when you're learning to drive. There are stressors when you start asking to borrow your parents' car. And then there's stressors from parents when your kids start asking you to borrow your car. There's stressors for type A's. We all, we're always stressed about everything, right? And then type B's have their own stressors, but the type B stressors don't kick in until the bills actually come due that you just thought if I ignore it, it'll go away, right? Or if I just don't fill my car with gas, it'll, I don't know, fill itself, all right? There are stresses for every economic level, for every stage of life. Even every hobby has its own stressors. Every relationship, every job, every season, every holiday, every corner of the planet has its own natural disasters, Yay, you can't run from them. And every person that we know has one day left to live tomorrow, one day less to live tomorrow than they did today. This is a world filled with wars, filled with rumors of wars, filled with strife, and filled with stress. And unto us, the Prince of Peace has been born. And I'd encourage you to take out this little blue sheet and write this down As I was praying for a starting point, I think this is a good one. Experiencing God's peace is a frequently missed opportunity. Now, I really wrestled with 
with what wording to use here. And for a while, I was camped on the idea of, in our world, peace is fleeting. And that's true, isn't it? Seems like you get peace and then it's gone. Or elusive, for a while I changed it and I was going, okay, let's start with peace as elusive because sometimes it's so hard to find. And I think those things are true, but the more I prayed, the more I looked at the scriptures, I feel like this is the landing point. The, the peace of God, it can be a missed opportunity. There's an invitation here to experience peace right in this world where peace can be fleeting, where it can be elusive. The Prince of Peace has come. He is here. He is coming back. And we're invited to experience his peace. And not only that, but to be able to share it for those around us. One of the things that's supposed to mark us as his people, if you're part of his people. The world's supposed to look at us and go, what in the world? Why are you happy right now? How can you possibly have peace? That's one of the markers that's supposed to be true of us as a people. So it is not an exaggeration to say that this word that I believe God has for us today, it can change the quality of our lives. It can change the quality of our witness to the world. So let's press into this. Let's dive back into Isaiah chapter nine. Let's do the verses that lead up to it. Verses one through five. So why don't you turn there and I'm going to switch translations for just a bit. I'm going to switch over to a translation called the NLT. And there's a lot of things I I love about the NLT, and we're going to explain why I'm going to switch back to the ESV in a little bit. But this one's uh, much easier to understand, so let's take a look at Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, the verses that lead up to the one that we just read. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled And there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that lies between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You, God, will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. And lift heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod. Now, remember this next phrase, because we're going to camp on that in a little bit here. Just as you did when you destroyed the army of who? Of Midian. Remember that. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms of bloodstained by war will be burned. They'll be fuel for fire. Now, let me give you a little context here for for all of this. This is attributed to a a prophet named Isaiah. One of the things I learned this week as I was studying was that Isaiah, according to tradition, he was a prince of sorts himself. That his uncle, Uncle Amaziah, was a king of Judah. And so here's what the princely prophet had to teach us about the peace of God. And this prophecy that he gives has a real-world context. Isaiah was not some, some... philosopher sitting up in an ivory tower somewhere. He was right in the thick of things, a real historical context where there was this rising Assyrian empire that would eventually engulf most of the Near East, including Israel, which by now had been broken into two different nations because of civil war. It was a time of war that he wrote in. It was a time of violence. In fact, Isaiah himself was said to have been executed by King Manasseh. And it wasn't going to just be a one-off either with this nation of Assyria coming in. After Assyria, 
would come Babylon. After Babylon would come the Persians. After the Persians would come the Greeks. After the Greeks would come the Romans. And then in the fullness of time, in the land that now had been humbled, a light would shine. And God would break the oppressor's rod just as he promised and just as he did when he destroyed the army of Midian. Midian. You can read how God delivered the people from the Midianites in Judges, the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. I wrote those in your notes. I want to encourage you to read those after looking at this passage, as we're going to do here in more depth. It's fascinating to see the parallels here between these two. Here's what happened in Judges, a real quick synopsis of what happened in Judges 6 and 7, if you're not familiar with this. This is the account of the original 300, and I'm not exaggerating at all with that. The Israelites, we read in in Judges uh, 6, had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sent the Midianites to humble them. For seven years, the Midianites had been invading the nation of Israel, and the descriptions are horrific. The scriptures say that their army couldn't be counted. They were like the sand of sea on the seashore. And they would invade like locusts, it said, devouring everything in its, their path. And the only people that would survive were those who would run up to the mountains to hide or would hide in caves. And the people cried out to the Lord. And when they did, the Lord sent an unlikely savior, a man named Gideon. And Gideon and how many men? 300 that the Lord selected defeated the mighty Midianite army. And how did they do it? They did it with trumpets and with torches, and with clay pots. 300 against a number that couldn't be counted. The Midianite reference then is a powerful one, powerful of God's deliverance. Here's one of my sources had to say about it. This is from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It said, the Bible is full of pregnant phrases. That is so true. The Bible is full of pregnant phrases that contain great power of suggestion. And nowhere in the Old Testament more so than in Isaiah. The appropriateness of the phrase, the day of Midian, can clearly be seen when we recall the historical situation. And then what this commentary does, you'll see the references here. They, they go side by side. They say, here's what it says in Judges. Here's what Isaiah says. There are some parallels going on between what happened, what God did when he delivered them from the Midianites, and what he's going to do in the future against these other armies. And it parallels them. It says you can, you can certainly see these parallels when you recall the historical situation. A vast multitude of enemies swarming over the land. The giving of a sign. The emphasis on faith in God and not dependence on human beings. And perhaps even you see the parallels in the defeat of great forces through apparently insufficient, insignificant means. You had 300 men aligned with Gideon. And then you had the child of promise that you find in Isaiah. And so these parallels are there. And here's a connection I never made before either. Let me show you this, a a geographical parallel that ties in not only this story with with what was happening in Isaiah's time, but also with this child that was to come. All right? So here we have a not-to-scale map (laughs) that was drawn this morning. And here we have what's now the nation of Israel in this area here. There's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River. And then in that opening passage that I read, they had mentioned, Isaiah had mentioned his prophecy, this region of Naphtali and Zebulun. Those were two tribes of Israel that each had an allotment of territory that was here and here 
in reference to the Sea of Galilee. Now, this battle of Midian that had happened hundreds of years before took place right here. So not Isaiah is setting this all up, right? He's setting this all up to say this thing that's going to happen in the future, this deliverance is going to happen as it did with the Midianites, but also where it happened with the Midianites. And why do I say that? Because Jesus' hometown of Nazareth is right here. The distance between Jesus of this ancient battle that had happened hundreds of years before where God delivered the people was as far away from the battlefield as Rosedale Mall is from here. I mean, it was that close. One of the things that you see throughout the scriptures is that a lot of these Old Testament characters, they foreshadow Jesus who was to come. And there's certainly foreshadowing going on here that Jesus is, is, is established, even in the Old Testament, as a new and better Gideon. Gideon had to pull down his father's altar when he got a call by God because his father had an altar to Baal and this big idol next to it. So Gideon actually had to go against his dad and pull these things down. And here you've got Jesus, whose father was the Holy One of Israel. And the Lord had said to Gideon, I will be with you, Gideon. Jesus' name was Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So it wasn't just, I'll be with you. Jesus was God with us. And Gideon, in the midst of all of this, he built an altar and he called the altar, the Lord is peace. So Gideon builds an altar, calls it the Lord is peace. And here's what disciples of Jesus of Nazareth said of him. In Ephesians 2.14, they said, He himself is our peace. We don't have to build an altar and say, This is the Lord, peace, or whatever. He himself is our peace. One of my commentaries said this, God with us has its foundations, both in theology and historical fact, in these verses. If the God who is inescapably present in our lives were a demon or a monster... This affirmation that God is with us would be one of endless terror. Even if he were only implacably just, his presence would not be a blessing to us unless we were somehow able to live without mistake or error or sin at all times. But the good news is that the God who is with us is a God who wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into shalom, our loss into abundance, our despair into joy. The one who rides with passionate desire at the head of the hosts of heaven has a passionate desire to do good to all people. If a God like that is for us, then that is good news for all eternity. Amen. I didn't even have to ask this time. Thank you, brother. Thank you. There, there's never been a God like our God, has there? There's never been a God like God or a Savior like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, that same disciple of Jesus I quoted earlier, the one that said, he himself is our peace. He was a man named Paul. And he also wrote this in Philippians 4.9. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. He said, practice these things. Practice these things. And the God of what? Peace will be with who? You. There's this invitation here. If you practice these things, the peace of God is accessible. The peace of God can be with you. 
So I'd encourage you to write this down because we have access to a peace that is like no other. The peace of Christ is accessible even in Midian moments. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you three practical examples of this. And now not only are we able to access a peace that passes all understanding right now in this dark world, not only is that true, but we also have a future hope that one day we're not going to have to hang on because one day all will be as it should be. Paul writes this in Romans 16, verse 20, says, the God of peace, this is interesting to me, the God of peace will soon what? Crush. When do you hear that in the same sentence? Peace and crushing. It doesn't even seem to match. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It doesn't make sense until you start thinking about it. Wait a minute, that does make total sense. This verse looks back and it looks ahead at the same time. It looks back to Genesis 3. It looks ahead to Revelation 19. It looks back to a prophecy in in Genesis where we're told that someone's going to come who's going to crush Satan's head. And then we look ahead to Revelation 19 where a disciple of Jesus named John had this vision of a world to come. When Jesus does come back. Now to set that up, let's quickly go back to Isaiah 9.5. Isaiah 9.5 had this little cryptic phrasing. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And truth be told, my eyes usually just gloss over that because I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't know. I'll just keep going. But this week I thought it might be good to dig into what that means. And so I dug into what that means. And what it said is back in the day, the Assyrians and others, they would literally roll their garments in blood to bring fear and intimidation into those that they would come up against. Well, this then verse is speaking of a time when things are going to be very different. A day was coming when the blood-soaked uniforms of the Assyrian army would be fuel for fire. A day was coming when there would be no more wars or even rumors of wars or bombing of civilians. Can I get an amen on that? There will be no more internet predators. There will be no more abuse. There will be no more human trafficking. No more sickness. No more death. No more doctors bringing bad news. No more phone calls bringing bad news. A day is coming when the Prince of Peace will return and he'll crush the enemies of God and his robe is going to be dripped in blood. Take a look at this. This is from Revelation 19. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw... Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and righteousness, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I saw the beast and I saw the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. And these two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That day is coming. Disciples of Jesus, we fix our eyes on that horizon because there will be a day where we don't just have to hang on. There's going to be a day when all will be as it should be. And why do we have certainty for that? We have certainty because we have a God who can see the future like it's yesterday. Here's how I word it in my notes. 
The events of that day are as certain as the events of yesterday. I said I'd come back to the ESV, and here's why. Let me pull that out right now. I love translations like the NLT and the message um, that are so readable, but I also love um, translations like the ESV that are more literal because there's things you can miss when you try to make things more readable. And one of the things that you miss when you translate it into more readable is the fact that most of the passage that we read earlier from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 6, most of it in the original Hebrew was past tense. Isaiah was talking about a future event, but as he gave this prophecy from God, he used past tense language because he served a God who is as certain about the future because he can, he's sovereign over all things. He's as certain as the future as you are about the fact that you sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now. That's the kind of God we serve. Why can we have peace? Because that's the kind of certainty our God has. So here's how it reads in the ESV. And look at how much of this is, is um, past tense. And again, he's speaking about the future. He's speaking about the arrival of Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are, as glad, they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the kind of certainty that Isaiah was able to have. Because he was able to look back at events like Midian and able to say, God can do what he says he's going to do. And this morning, I want to invite you to place your trust in the one for whom the future is as certain as the past. The day is coming when he's going to crush sin and crush death and crush Satan under his feet. And in the now, the same God who knows that day is coming promises he can work all things for good. Not can. He will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, if we had a sermon timer going, I'd be in my, my last, uh, last couple flips here. So as we turn this corner now, bring this message towards application and conclusion, let me offer this. And there's a place to write this in your notes too. If Christ is your Prince of Peace, then your Midian moments can become Midian milestones. Let me say that again. If Christ is your Prince of Peace, your Midian moments can become your Midian milestones. In this world, you cannot escape Midian moments. In this world, you are going to have moments where it seems like there is no hope for deliverance. There are going to come moments where you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. God, if you are real, then why is Aleppo happening right now? If you are real, why are there crosses at 96 and 10? If, the, if you are real, why, 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 why? There, that's going to come. You're going to wonder, guy, why are you holding back information? Why are you holding back on your might? You are going to have Midian moments in this world. And if Christ is your Prince of Peace, the Midian moments, as you get on the other side of them, they can become milestones for you. They can become milestones. 
Several weeks ago, I gave you a sneak peek into my life. Um, I told you about a stack of cards that I created when I was going through and our family was going through uh, a real Midian moment. And so I wrote some, some of these cards to just give myself those reminders that while I was going through this, to remember God's faithfulness. And there were promises of Scripture and there were these reminders to self. And I'm going to give you one more here today, a little sneak peek into my life. Um, when I was going through these things, I wrote this down so that I would see this every day as I'd go through these cards. It says, and it's, this is card is based on, if you're not familiar with this language, it's, um, it comes out of a song called Oceans that I listened to a lot during that season. And the song Oceans is based on a time when the Apostle Peter was called by Jesus to come out on the water, on these stormy, wavy this water. He said, come out here, come and walk on this water. So here's what I wrote to myself. You called me to walk on these waters and only you can keep us, meaning our church, above these waves. And then I took this line right from the song. You've never failed and you won't start now. That's right. You've never failed and you won't start now. And why could I say that with certainty? Because I was able to look back and he's never failed and he won't start now. He didn't fail me when my dad died. He didn't fail me at this time and this time and this time. He didn't fail, and he's not going to start now. And many of you have these milestone moments, and you can look back. And when you're going through those hard times, you can look back and say, God, you never failed. And even though I don't know how you're going to pull us out of this one, you're not going to start now. You're not going to start now. So now fast forward, and I'll give you a couple real practical examples of how you can access the peace of Christ in your life, right? I woke up um, on Monday not because of my alarm, but because the world needed my help or something. I, I woke up and you know how that is? You, at four in the morning and I'm like, okay, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. I couldn't fall back to sleep. And so I'm like, I got to go access the peace of Christ. That's not the language I had, but I'm like, I, I just got to get up. <laughs> and I went for a walk. And I prayed that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And I was able to access the peace of God. Because all of those promises in that prayer, he's never failed. He's not going to start now. I was able to access that. If you keep your eyes fixed, if you keep your eyes fixed on Christ, he's never failed. And he's not going to start now. And like everyone in the room, I need reminders from my brothers and sisters, and I need encouragement. But also like many of you, there's a lifetime that we can look back on of Midian moments as you continue to look to God's faithfulness in these times. So now fast forward to Thursday. We need these moments throughout our week, don't we? And this one's embarrassing, all right? I, I, I debated whether or not to even do this right up until today. I was also going to pull the plug on this. Um, and in fact, I was going to pull the plug possibly even after the first service because I'm like, this is just ridiculously embarrassing because it involves a boy band, all right? I know, yeah. But... I'm just being honest with you. Here's, here's how you can access the peace of Christ even with a boy band, okay? So on Thursday, I'm working on this message, and I was thinking about, okay, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And a soundtrack started playing in my head. This little song that 12-year-old girls all around the country were singing not too long ago. And here's, here's how it goes. Raise your hand if you've heard this before. Go ahead and play the song. How many have heard it? <laughs> He's holding his head in shame, one of our young adults. All right. That's enough of that song right there. Um, 
but leave this up on the screen. Okay, the song is by the great hymn writers, uh, Walk the Moon, and uh, <laughs> their profound lyrics include this chorus that came to my mind. Don't you dare look back. Keep your eyes on me. I said, you're holding back. She said, shut up and dance with me. And when this song was popular, by the way, I had to tell my little nieces, um, please be quiet and dance with me are the lyrics to this song as they were trying to sing it because we don't use shut up. They didn't think that was very cool at all. Um, So besides changing that language, if you tweak this thing just a little bit, there's a powerful message here. Powerful message. I'm serious here. This whole idea of what I would tweak more than anything here is this don't you dare look back because let me tell you, there are times you must look back. If you have those Midian moments that God brought you through that are now milestones, look back at them because he's never failed and he won't start now. And if you don't have those Midian moments, then let me tell you, go ahead and look back and look back at the times in your life where God points us this way and you went that way and ask yourself, how'd that work out for you? Go ahead and look back because aren't we at our worst often when we fix our eyes anywhere other than on Christ? So look back, keep your eyes on him. And then there's that part. This is me holding back all those times. I think, God, you're holding back. Why aren't you using your power? Why aren't you giving me the wisdom? Why aren't you proving yourself? And there's times where he just says, shut up. He also says, cast your anxiety on him, but that's another message, right? There are times when he says, shut up and let's go. Trust me. Will you trust me? Amen. This is a world where there will be all kinds of things that will distract us. If, if this life is a club, there are going to be all kinds of things that are going to try to pull us away from our first love. All kinds of things. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who can pull you through. And all this might sound super hokey right now, but the reason I even share this example with you is one, because you can see it can even access through boy bands, right? Access God. But the other one is this, and I say this with all sincerity. It is my hope and my prayer for you that you'll be able to feel what I felt when I was listening to this song and I was thinking about God called me. I hope you get a sense of that in your life because he has. You are his workmanship. You're created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared for you to do. And I hope if you don't sense that now, you're going to sense that, that you are created with a purpose. And he's calling you to follow him. He's got a life for you. It's my hope that you'll get chills when you think about that. And not only that, beyond that, that you'll even be able to look at those songs like these lyrics, that, they, that there's things that could bring you to tears as you think about a God who loves you enough to say, keep your eyes on me. I'm going to bring you through this. I've never failed. I'm not going to start now. So as hokey as this sounds, I hope this for you. I hope this for you. All right, we're getting really close to the end here. And as we do, I encourage you to write this down because this is a key point. Accessing the peace of Christ, which can come on a walk. It can come with a boy band song. It can come when he literally delivers you from an impossible odds. Accessing the peace of Christ, it is different than meditation. It is different than distraction. It is different than intoxication. Can I get a thank you? It is. It's not this. Because in those situations, you're escaping. In those situations, you're like, find my happy place, find my happy place. Here come the Midianites, find my happy place. Well, you can stay in your happy place. What happens when you leave your happy place? They're knocking down your door. Happy place. Now they're in your room. When, when you try to escape, you're not fixing anything. That's not about, this isn't about escaping. 
This is about pressing in by going to the source of your salvation. And that's our last talk point today. Keep your eyes fixed on the source of your salvation. This is not about ignoring reality and finding a happy place. This is about pressing into the deepest reality that there's a God who so loved the world that he sent his son in the form of a child to live and die and teach us another way. And even more than that, to send his spirit to empower us and lead us and guide us. So as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to experience the peace of Christ right here, right now. And we don't do that by finding a happy place. We do it by pressing in. So worship band, why don't you come on up? And we're going to try to simulate a little bit of, of what we're going to do when we gather on Friday. On Friday, you're going to come, and this place is going to be a magical place because the lights will be off, and it'll be dark, and Shoreview Community Center has their lights on. And we're going to gather in this room not to run from reality, but to press into it and to gaze upon the child that was promised by Isaiah, who would be more than any other deliverer has ever been. He would be the wonderful counselor. He would be mighty God incarnate. He'd be an everlasting father, the prince of peace. So I'm going to pray that we can even experience and access that peace right here, right now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, first of all, that you'll sort through the mess that was this message and you'll bring your truth to their hearts and minds through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, communicate what I'm so unable to do, and that is your love, and that is your power, and that is your goodness, and that is your greatness. And it's all these things that make Christmas so wonderful because all this came packaged to us in a child. And even in that, you were communicating who you are. And Father, if you can change the world through a child, then how much more can you deliver us from our Midian situations? So Lord, help us to bring those to bear right now. I pray for every person in this room to bring their Midian moment before you and to gaze on you and to be filled with your peace and your hope, your hope that you can work all things for good in this life and there'll be a life where it's all good in the next. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.